Thank you, Howard. I'm going to miss Bob Brown, Bobby. Y'all come on in. He uh, would frequently come to class. He'd bring me a book. He'd say, I want to give you this book. I'd say, well, you know, I love books. I'm a book collector. I'm a truly a book fanatic. I said, uh, but um, let me just write down the title. If it's a good book, I'll, I'll order it. You know, you hang on to your books. And he said to me, he said, no, doctors have told me I have this a heart condition. It's inoperable, and I'm supposed to drop dead any day now of a heart attack. And he says, so I'm trying to get rid of everything because I don't have anything to hold me here. I'm going home one day, and it may be today. So I want to give you this book. And so I have several of his books. Uh, uh, he would send me emails constantly about uh, whatever he found. Not, well, I mean, not like Mark Craver, but... <laughs> 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 Speaking of which, if anybody needs a lesson, Mark's got some back there with Stacy and can hand them out. Um, raise your hand. Y'all come on down. Lewis needs one down here. But uh, he would send me some of the most fascinating emails, and I'm, I'm going to miss him uh, uh, a lot. Uh, this has been a, a crazy summer for us, and I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, uh, I apologize that I was not here last week, and I thank Edward for filling in. I had... I'm getting like a reverb up here. Is that, uh, if it's bothering you, then don't leave, but like throw something at Mike. If it's not bothering you, I don't give a rip. I mean, I reverb half my life. Um, <laughs> the, uh, anyway, it's been a, a wild summer for us. We've been very busy, and I had written the lesson for Edward uh, uh, the, the Ambrose part of the lesson, and if you did not get a copy of it, I want you to, because Ambrose is very, very important for us, and I really appreciate Edward uh, filling in. Charles, who frequently fills in for me, was in Seattle. Uh, uh, we had to be in Seattle last weekend. Uh, right before Seattle, I had gone to uh, uh, San Diego, where I had been asked to give a presentation to the Arizona Bar Association, which for some reason goes to San Diego for their annual meeting. And so I, I, I've spent time in Arizona, and I can see why, but <laughs> I'm joking. I, I love Arizona. So I, I'm getting ready, and, and unfortunately, my life is one where I, I wind up having to do stuff uh, in terms of speaking and presentations just about every day. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, I was in San Diego one day with a presentation. I had to be in L.A. the next day with a presentation. I had to be in Seattle the next day. Uh, uh, I had a day off, but then the presentation... And then I had to be in Texarkana the next day for two days in a row of presentations. And I had to go to Lubbock and do a presentation. And then I, this is the life I lead. And then I, have, I get to come here and give a presentation. So I'm, it's just a day or so before I'm about to give my presentation in Arizona or San Diego. And I open it up to say, okay, well, what do I have to put together now? And they had me speaking for four hours and 15 minutes. I looked at that. I thought, well, this is a typo. No, I start at 8.15 in the morning. They start introducing me at 8. I speak from 8.15 to 12.30. I'm sitting there thinking, my mom wouldn't listen to me that long. And she'd listen to me forever, you know. I'm sitting there thinking. So I thought, well, I guess if this is not a typo, the first thing I need to do is count back about 12 hours and not have anything to drink before I go up to speak. 
um, not have anything to eat because, you know, it's not like say, okay, I'm going to sneak out the back and go to the restroom while y'all continue listening to me. Um, it's been quite a bizarre week. Uh, I mean, bizarre summer. Uh, uh, we uh, uh, have some more opportunities to speak, but hopefully I will be here the rest of this summer. There is one Sunday I may still miss. It's not next Sunday, though. So please, please, if you see fit, not only yourselves, but bring someone next Sunday. Because uh, um, Augustine, whom we're looking at right now, is one of my favorite people in history. When we get to heaven, um, I want to find him and I want to spend some time with him. Um, An absolutely amazing guy. Uh, What God did in his life still astonishes me. And as we look at the class today, I really want you, a bunch of you grew up in my age. And you remember in our age when Carole King's Tapestry came out, that album? Okay. You remember how, how life, my life has been a tapestry of rich and woven hue or whatever. I don't know what it is, but it's something like that. God's tapestry, the way he weaves things together is really interesting. And that he's doing in your life. What you hear about Augustine is something that that he did in Augustine's life, but I really wish I had a way of saying that that this is not a coincidence and and convincing you that God wants you to understand that he moves in your life just as much as he did in Augustine's. Okay? So we're going to look at St. Augustine of Hippo. Hippo uh, is a Greek word for a, a horse. Um, uh, but Hippo is the town where he became a bishop, and that's why he gets that uh, title. Um, St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, we don't know what he looked like, uh, though we do know a lot more about him. We're getting to the point now in church history where we actually have an ability to start putting things together a little bit more accurately than necessarily we did before. Um, St. Augustine is a very famous fellow in history, in Western civilization, not just within Christianity. I picked up a book by a fellow named Philip Stokes, and Philip Stokes has written a book entitled Philosophy's 100 Essential Thinkers. And in that book, two of the 100 essential thinkers he lists are Christian thinkers. One of philosophers most 100 influential was Augustine. Uh, The other was Boethius, and we'll study him later, but uh, uh, he doesn't come for a while. Um, Philosophers recognize Augustine. Uh, Our son, who's just finished a year studying philosophy at Oxford, uh, 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 was reading Wittgenstein's uh, philosophy of language. And Wittgenstein uh, launches uh, into, uh, from a secular perspective, his view of... of, uh, uh, of Augustine and what Augustine had to say about memory and language and all. Augustine is a very significant person in Western civilization. St. Jerome, who is the fellow we'll study in the 400s that really took the, the Greek and Hebrew and translated it into a coherent Latin version for the church called the Vulgate. Jerome, uh, who, who, by the way, didn't compliment many people. He's not one of these, you know, we have touchy-feely people. If you get around my wife... And you do the worst thing in the world, she's going to say, you did such a really good job at the worst thing in the world. You know, she's just an absolute encourager. Jerome's not an encourager. He's not one to give compliments out freely. He was fairly strict. But Jerome said Augustine was the second founder of the faith behind St. Paul uh, uh, because of what Augustine had to write. 
Um, St. Augustine is, uh, uh, he's huge. St. Augustine, oh, St. Augustine is the oldest continually occupied city in the United States. But that's a different St. Augustine. That's St. Augustine, Florida. Has anybody ever been there? Okay, well, that's the oldest continually occupied city in the United States, founded in 1565 at the point where Ponce de Leon had landed just 50 years earlier looking for the fountain of youth. And that part of class has been paid for by the Chamber of Commerce of the greater St. Augustine area. But let's return to our St. Augustine. Our St. Augustine was a prolific writer. And there was a saying that went around that you can read in, in early church writings, in middle church writings, in through the Middle Ages, a saying about Augustine. And this was the saying, any man who says that he's read all of St. Augustine is a liar. Because Augustine wrote so much, people figured there's no way he did. So as a prolific writer, he wrote three different kinds, or what I've categorized into three different areas. He wrote more than that. He wrote letters. He wrote all sorts of things. But, but the three things that we'll talk about in this class, he wrote commentaries on Scripture. And I don't deal with them today, but I'm hoping to have time to deal with them next week. He wrote, uh, Augustine wrote, uh, uh, what I have in two volumes. It's entitled, A Literal commentary or a commentary on the literal meaning of Genesis. And it's only the first six chapters of Genesis. But it's fascinating to see what this brilliant thinker wrote as his literal understanding of what the first six chapters of Genesis spoke about. So if we have time, we, we may deal with that. It's, it's a great read. Um, he also wrote a commentary on society. Uh, uh, the city of God, where he basically takes the city of Rome. Rome, during the lifetime of Augustine, was sacked by Alaric and, and uh, some barbarians who came down and, and sacked the city of Rome. And, and, and Augustine wrote a book where he compares the city of Rome to God's eternal city and talked about what was good and bad and ugly about one uh, uh, as compared to the, the perfect model. And so it's a commentary on society and how we should live and what our, our structure should be like. And then finally, he wrote a commentary on humanity, uh, if we want to stick with the commentary theme here. And that's what we're really going to look at today. It's called Augustine's Confessions. Okay, And if you've ever looked at uh, Augustine's Confessions, anybody ever seen it? Everybody ever heard of it? Okay. We've got some. Here's a title. Of, you, you, it's, a, it's a classic. That was not in the original title. Uh, Confessions of St. Augustine is the way he entitled it. And um, it's an incredible book. It's 12. As he wrote it, it was 12 books. But we get it in a, in a volume. I brought not that version, but uh, another version um, today. And this is uh, a good bit of this is introduction. But there are some very readable versions out there. This is something worth adding to your library. Uh, this is something worth reading if you can get it in a good readable version. So you want the more modern translation. This one that I brought today is, was translated in 1960. And the English is okay. But you can get a better English translation from, from something a bit more recent. Um, Augustine's Confessions, I first read when I was in high school. And I've gone back to it many times. It is a source of great inspiration. And uh, uh, it, it never ceases to touch me when I read it and when I look at it. And I had a lot of fun getting class ready. What it is is it's an autobiography, but it's even more. 
This is a 12-book praise to God. It's a prayer to God. He starts out praying to God, and he goes through and he confesses his life, but he does it through praise. And so it's, it's first a confession of praise. The very first verse starts out, You are great, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is your power, and to your wisdom there is no limit. And this is the way he begins his autobiography. He starts out defining who he is in his life, in essence, by praising Almighty God. And if there's any wisdom to be gleaned from Augustine, and there certainly is, I believe that some of it comes from the fact he knew who he was by reference to who God was. Anybody who knows who they are simply by their own life doesn't know who they really are. We are who we are because God made us. That's what we were learning some this morning in the sermon. It's that God has his hand on you. He not only calls you by name. You know, you go back to Jesus. If Jesus thought your name was wrong, he'd change your name. Because he knows who you are. Not just your name. He knows who you are in your depths. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And that's profound. And so Augustine can't start writing about who he is without first explaining the magnificence and the praise of Almighty God. And that's the way he starts out. This book is not only a confession of praise, it's also a confession of faith. In this book, Augustine makes profound statements of his faith in God. He says, our heart is restless until it rests in you. Do you remember this morning in the sermon, those of you who were in church, the preacher talked about um, you have a God-shaped hole in your life and until you fill that God-shaped hole, you can try and fill it with anything you want, but until you fill it with Christ, it doesn't have peace. Do you remember that? Have you heard that expression before? Have you heard uh, a Don Finto we used to go to church with, uh, the Riddles and I, uh, at different times, but, but an acquaintance of both? Don Finto, I first heard... Uh, uh, Come up, uh, explain this in a sermon. I was uh, probably 16 or so, and he talked about those kids' toys that have the round holes and the square pegs and the square holes and the triangle holes and the frustration of watching a kid trying to take that triangle and shove it into the round hole, and you just want to take his hand and say, no, it goes over there, you know. I remember him talking about that, and I remember thinking, yeah, because Holly, my little sister, was... 10 or 12 at the time, she was having that problem. And uh, I uh, um, will pay for that later. And um, I always thought that was neat. Augustine's the first person to talk about that. It was Augustine who says you have a God-shaped hole in your life and that God has to fill it up and nothing else does. And that's who this comes from. Uh, it's a confession of faith. It's not just a confession of faith. It's also a confession of sin. And it's really incredible to read. I mean, it's kind of a gutsy move on this guy's part. This guy is a saint. Okay? This guy's the Bishop of Hippo when he writes this. That makes him like a real high up there kind of guy. Okay? He's like a Demon Shook, if you will. He's like an Ed Young. Okay? And he writes a confession that's quite detailed in uh, confessing his sin. He confesses sin in his childhood. 
and, and he goes into a lot of detail. I haven't gone into the detail with you this morning, but I've pulled out some of the, the, the global statements so that you'll appreciate some of what he says. As a child, he says, I sinned, O Lord my God, by going against the commands of my parents. Well, now, I did too. I suspect we all did. And it's interesting, I've never really felt that compelled in my life to go back and confess those sins to God. But Augustine does. And Augustine says, I'm confessing these sins, God, not because I need to to get your forgiveness at this point. But he says, I'm confessing these sins because when I do so, your love showers over me. And I need your love. And I need to feel it. And I need to understand it. And so he confesses his sin. In childhood, he says, I was disobedient, not out of a desire for better things, but just out of love for play. It's not that I was out there, you know, my parents would say, oh, don't steal. And I'd go steal because I wanted something better. Or my parents would say, don't go play uh, uh, outside. You know, when we're doing this, you need to stay inside the house and tend to your sibling. He had two siblings. He says, it wasn't just that I was uh, uh, just disobedient because I wanted to do something. He says, sometimes it's just for play. I was just having fun. But I was disobedient nonetheless. Not just in childhood and adolescence. He says, I wish to bring back to mind my past foulness and the carnal corruptions of my soul. This is not because I love them, but that I may love you, my God. And in adolescence, uh, uh, he got caught in, in uh, sexual problems. He got caught in any number of different issues. And this is the way he lived his life. Um, as an adult, he says, we pursued an empty fame and popularity. We pursued unbridled lusts. And he brings forward in this uh, confession a confession not just of praise, not just of faith, but an actual confession of sin. In adulthood, he says, let me confess my shame to you to offer up my past errors as a sacrifice. For what am I to myself but the leader of my own destruction? Augustine was firmly convinced and, and fought a heresy, the Pelagian heresy that we'll talk about probably next week. But Augustine was firmly convinced and taught like nobody since the time of Paul that mankind on its own through the seed of Adam is born sinful and that the best human deed you've got is a sinful deed and that any good you do in your life you do because God's at work in you. So you better not ever be proud of it. You be proud of God. Don't ever be proud of yourself. Because every man on his own is sinful and set for destruction. Augustine had a huge influence on Luther and a huge influence on the Reformation. It was Luther and the Reformation that reclaimed what Augustine taught. Augustine taught Jesus Christ came so that by faith in Christ and by faith alone, you could be saved before God. He taught a very clear gospel message that got lost somewhat in Christianity after him and that Martin Luther came back, heavily influenced by him, and really used to try and pull the church back to some of the biblical roots where it had started. So with that as kind of an overall view of St. Augustine, let's look at him for a moment. He was born November 13th in 354 in Thagast, which is now Souk Aras. Algeria, that's a typo. There is no such thing as Algeria. That, that's the old British spelling. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's French. Um, in Algeria, it's uh, right up there in the northeastern corner of Algeria. And uh, that's where he was born. His parents were Patricius and Monica, although Monica back then was spelled with two N's. Okay? So if you're a Monica, you can like add a second N to your name and just say you're using the old Latin spelling. Uh, his parents' names were Patricius and Monica. Monica had been uh, grown up in a Christian household. She was a strong believing Christian. She was a wonderful Christian mother to him and a wonderful Christian wife. Patricius, on the other hand, uh, didn't give a rip about religion. He was a pagan. He wasn't a Christian. Didn't give a rip about the church. Didn't give a rip about Christianity. And didn't care that much that his wife was a Christian. And um, uh, uh, didn't lead a devout life, though he did love <clears throat> his wife and his children. He was not a wealthy man. They didn't have a lot of money. He had a, a low-paying job working for the city. But he sacrificed what he could to take the, the sunshine of his life, Augustine, and make sure Augustine could get an education. Now, Augustine, they didn't have in Thagast the best schools, but they did have a school. And so Augustine was enrolled in the school. They didn't have publicly funded education the way we do now. If you went to school, your parents had to pay for it. It was only private schools. And so dad and mom sacrificed a lot. It wasn't a Christian education, but it was an education. Now, mom, during all of this, Monica, is trying hard to bring Augustine and his brother and his sister up as Christians. But it's kind of hard to do when the father is a pagan. Okay? She's given it her best. Uh, uh, there was a time where Augustine got real sick as a kid and he wanted to be baptized because uh, he was afraid of dying without uh, uh, being baptized. And, and his mom said, uh, well, let's wait. You're real sick. The sickness passed. And we don't know if the dad jumped in and interrupted things, but Augustine was not baptized. And Augustine went on. And as Augustine grew up into uh, teenage years, he tended to follow the path of his father more than his mother. In fact, Augustine, when he was 15 and 16, had to drop out of school because the family just didn't have enough money. So at the age of 16, Augustine sits out of school for a year. Somebody in the town who was impressed with Augustine came in and said, Hey, you're an impressive kid. Uh, we want to we support you. We're going to pay for your next year of school. And so a townsman came in and paid for Augustine to return to school. Augustine did when he was 17. When Augustine was 17, also, his father died. One of the neat things about his dad dying is on his deathbed, his dad embraced Jesus Christ. One of the last things his dad did before he passed away was be baptized. And Augustine writes about it and lets everyone know that it's because of the faithful life of his mother and the way his mother loved his father. She wasn't in a position to preach at him, but she was in a position to show the love of Christ. And he says, you know, in, in echo of what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.1, it's either 1 or 2 Peter, I think it's 1 Peter 3, 1, that wives are to love their husbands in such a way that husbands can be won over even without a word being said because of the devotion of the wife. And uh, uh, it's 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Um, so anyway, that's him. So he gets his early education up there in Thagast. And then at, at 17, he moves to Carthage because the guy who's putting him through school says, well, if I'm going to pay for you to have a year of school, let's get you to a little better school. 
So we're going to move you down the street. We're going to send you to Carthage. They got a better school there. And through at Carthage, uh, as a 17-year-old, um, how many of you know 17-year-old kids? Okay, I have a daughter who's 17. I have a son who was 17. I have a wife who was 17, though that was like decades ago. Um, <clears throat> the uh, Augustine says when I was 17, you know, he'd like to say, he's writing this as an older guy, all right? So he's got perspective. So he'd like to say, you know, if, he, if you'd ask him when he was 17, why are you living with this woman you're not married to? He would have said, which is what he was doing, he would have said, uh, I was in love. But with the perspective of time, he writes, he says, I wasn't really in love. I was in love with love. You see the difference? I wasn't really in love with her. I was just in love with the idea of being in love. I just didn't understand it at the time. So he's living with a woman that he never marries. They have a son. Um, he's uh, 17, 18, 19 years old, and he's already given birth to a son. And uh, he starts teaching. That last year of school was enough to where he could become a teacher. So he starts teaching as he continues his studies, uh, teaching rhetoric. He's a talker. He talks for a living. Rhetoric means also he learns philosophy. He learns all sorts of things because he has to talk about all sorts of things. So uh, this is what he does. He moves to Carthage as a young man. He says, in my youth, I burn to get my fill of hellish things. I stank in your eyes. Remember, he's writing a prayer to God. But I was pleasing to myself, and I desired to be pleasing to the eyes of men. And that's the kind of life he was living, living a life of sin. Um, his students uh, saw it. Everybody saw it. His mother uh, weeped over it. His father has now passed away. And his mother, you can just see her saying, you know, God, help me. I'm now on my own. Uh, I, don't, I don't have the husband. I don't have the support. I don't have his job. And here's my pride and joy. We've sacrificed to give him education. We've tried to do all of these things for him. And he is off doing who knows what with who knows who? And uh, as parents, Christian mother, she was distraught. And uh, uh, he knew that. Augustine knew it. He didn't care that much, but he knew it. He cared in his heart. Um, in fact, of his youth, he would say, God's forgiven me so many evils and so many impious works. During this time, his course of study led him to read some Cicero. And Cicero brought in him a great love of philosophy. And so, so uh, uh, Augustine says, well, I'm going to go back and look at Christianity and I'm going to look at the scriptures to see if it fits in because now I've become so smart. And he went back and he looked and he thought, ah, oh, this is all garbage. He thought, Bible, psh, that's garbage. He says, uh, in fact, he says that scripture seemed I put it up here, seemed unworthy of comparison to the nobility of Cicero. The scripture's just nothing. Looking back at it later in his life, he says, you know, it's not that I was an idiot. He says, I was just so full of pride. So full of pride that I couldn't, I, I, I like to be better than scripture, smarter than scripture, smarter than mom, smarter than dad. So he joins a cult. They didn't call it a cult, but it was a cult, the Manicheans. It was a Gnostic-type religion. 
based upon being so smart and so much smarter than others, wrote off the Old Testament, wrote off most of the New Testament, and uh, uh, this is what he was. And he was a big leader in the cult. See, he had problems with Scripture. And his problems would be things like, he had problems with uh, what it said about uh, uh, King David, what it said about Abraham. He had problems with what they were doing. He had problems with the attitudes. He'd find problems with passages of Scripture. He had great problems. It says in creation that God made man in his image. He says, well, does that mean, I guess, that God exists in time and space like man does? God has a body like man does? That's absurd. And so he had serious problems with Scripture. They didn't satisfy his intellect. And uh, uh, he, writing back about it later, he says, you know, it's kind of like, let me put it up here. When the helmet doesn't fit the leg, you don't throw the helmet away. You learn the proper use. If you've got a body of armor and somebody's got a helmet and you say, oh, there's a body of armor. Let me see. And you take the helmet and you try to get your foot in it. And it doesn't fit. You don't say, useless piece of armor. You learn that the helmet goes on the head. And you put the leg pieces on the leg. He says, that's the way I was with Scripture. He says, through my pride, I didn't know how to rightly divide and rightly handle the Word of God. And so I came to Scripture, and I thought Scripture was idiotic. For simpletons. And it's only because I was so dumb and so prideful, I didn't understand it. And I didn't know how to use it. So, as he joins his cult, I ask you this question. How does Augustine get saved? I mean, here's this guy now. Well, he's in his 20s. He's in a cult. He's, I told you, he became the pillar of the church. The pillar of Western civilization and thought. You know how he got saved? His mother. He says, um, my mother wept for me more than mothers weep over their children's dead bodies. She cried every day, beseeching God in prayer. Not a day went by that she wasn't praying for him in all details. And she let him know. She moved in with him. Now, he's living with a woman out of wedlock, and she doesn't approve, and she's in the same house. And she is showing her lack of approval by crying and praying all day long. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year after year. Finally... Oh, I like this thing. For nine years, that chaste, devout, sober widow watered the earth with the many tears that flowed from her eyes. Midway through that nine years, um, Augustine had had about all he could, so he decided to leave Carthage there and go to Rome there and take a new job. His ostensible reason was the students in Carthage just showed an absolute lack of respect for him. And he'd heard that the student population was a little better in Rome. So he decided he'd go to Rome and he'd be a teacher in Rome. He got to Rome. But before he went, he's sneaking out of the house to go. And his mother says, where are you going? 
Well, I'm kind of going to go to Rome. What? Uh, yeah, I got to kind of go to Rome. She follows him down to the ship docks and is holding on to him and will not let go. So he lies to her. He says, I'm not leaving yet. I still got the woman that's the mother of my kid. You know, I still got her up there at the house. I'm not going to leave yet. I got, I got business to do. Now you run on along. So she runs on along and he gets on the boat and says, hurry, let's go and goes to Rome. In Rome, he didn't like it much better. He stays there for about a year. The students are a little more respectful, but they won't pay their bills. He says, hmm, students that pay but aren't respectful or students that are respectful and won't pay? He doesn't like either of them. So he hears there's a job opening in Milan, which is a couple of hours north of Rome. So he applies for it. The city of Milan was going to appoint a kind of a professor of rhetoric for the city. And he goes and he applies. Gets the job. Moves to Milan. Who was here last week for the Ambrose class? Ah, good and faithful people. Who's the bishop of Milan? Ambrose. Ambrose, and I didn't put this in the lesson, so I don't know that Edward uh, threw it out there for you. Ambrose had a nickname. The honey-tongued orator. When you see paintings of Ambrose, they'll frequently put a bee, like a buzzing bee, in the painting to show that, that that's Ambrose. Because he's the honey-tongued orator. Supposedly, he was so gifted with speech that he was a delight to listen to. The honey-tongued orator, Ambrose. So Augustine goes north. He knows about the honey-tongued Ambrose and decides, I want to go hear him. I want to see if this guy's as good as he thinks he is, as good as his reputation, as good as everybody says. Well, the only place that the silver tongue or honey-tongued orator speaks is church. So Augustine has to go. By the way, that is the church. That's called uh, the Church of St. Ambrose in Milan. It's had a lot of additions over the years, but it's the same place. Okay, um, Goes to hear Ambrose preach. He says, I'm not going because I believe any of the church stuff. That stuff drives me crazy. I just want to, quote, try out his eloquence. I got to see if this guy's as good as they say. And you know what? He was. Augustine was blown away and thought, okay, uh, I want to I I learn some of this. So Augustine comes back. And Augustine says, little by little, I was drawing close to you, God, although I didn't know it. See, Augustine wouldn't even tell Ambrose, I'm not a believer. Augustine just came to church and just pretended while he was out there. Because, I mean, this is the Bishop of Milan. This is a big guy, important guy. You're the new guy in town, the professor of rhetoric. The bishop's giving rhetoric each Sunday in his sermons. You're out there. You're the town's professor of rhetoric. You know, he says, he says, in fact, I was so impressed with him that I really wanted to spend time with Ambrose. And I wish I could have just sat down with him and unloaded and just, just uploaded all the data I could from him. He said, the problem with that is, is Ambrose led such a crazy, hectic life 
that he never really had time to, to do the one-on-one stuff with me. He says, and I regretted that. Oh, Ambrose would talk to him after class, after service, after church. Ambrose would say to him some things about this or some things about that. Well, about this time, you know who re-enters the picture? Mom, Augustine got found. Mom comes in. And uh, Mom finds out that uh, Augustine's going to church. Okay, now, Augustine doesn't buy into the Christian stuff, and Augustine's not a Christian yet, but Augustine says to his mom, okay, I'm not like biting on the whole thing, but I am going to church. But it's more a professional thing because I need to be in tight with Ambrose. You know, he's uh, the big bishop, and, and I'm learning some things from him about speaking. And, and um, the way Augustine writes about it, he says, And mom was real calm on the outside and just said, Oh, that's sweet, dear. I'm, I'm really glad. And he says, But then I saw she ran into her room and starts praying to God and crying out loud for God to continue to work and, and in prayer and joy, but also with supplication that my heart would change. And then after she was through crying, she wiped off her tears and she'd come out and act like nothing ever happened. And uh, that's what he had. Um, the mother actually uh, has some significant interactions with Ambrose as well. Uh, Ambrose would not only talk to Augustine some, but did Edward tell you last week about um, when, when Ambrose, the, the emperor's mother, Justina, was really running the empire. And Justina was an Arian, you know, thinking that Jesus is not the son of God. Okay? And, and Ambrose is so strong for the Trinity. And so the mother tells Ambrose, you've got to give one of your churches to the Arians. And Ambrose says no. So the mother sends the soldiers to arrest Ambrose. And the whole church surrounds Ambrose and won't let the soldiers in. And they just stand there and sing songs. And, and they hold a vigil around Ambrose. And Ambrose stays in the church. Did Edward tell you any of that stuff? Okay, if not, it's in the written lesson, but he did. Um, you know who's in the middle of all those people? Monica. She's in there standing up for the bishop because this is the bishop that's going to save her boy. And she wouldn't let those troops by to, for anything. And it's interesting to see Augustine's write up of that account, which we know from other historical sources as well. Well, what happens for Augustine is gradually these sermons are really having an effect. And so, for example, Ambrose would preach, and Ambrose would preach on man's made in God's image. I want to explain that doesn't mean God has a body like ours and exists in time and space and is limited by his frame the way we are. It means that we have that spiritual connection with God. That the things that work for God work for us. That the spiritual, that truth and love and purity and harmony are what we're made to be, just as God is. And so Augustine starts realizing that, that uh, his mind is converting. He leaves the cult and he starts accepting that this Christianity stuff may be true. And once he realizes that, then he starts a life of fence straddling. Yes, Christianity is true, but... I'm not ready to sign on to the wagon or to the, to the, to the show. Okay? And, and so he's miserable 
Because he's too much in the world to be a Christian, but he's too much in the Word to be in the world. And he's just living a life that's got him ripped in two. And he's not enjoying it at all. And finally, there is a conversion of his heart at the age of 32, but it was through the influence of mentors, friends, a child's voice, and Paul. Let me explain. Mentors. While he didn't have much time with Ambrose, he sought out Ambrose's spiritual friends and spent time with them. Not only mentors, but his own, these fr- they became his friends. And he had other friends searching, and they searched together. And not only that, but when he's there and he's at a retreat, or just a vacation, I should say, and he's trying to figure this out, he hears a child's voice. He says, I don't remember if it was a boy or a girl. I'm not even sure it was a child. But I just hear this little sing-song rhyme. Take it and read it. Take it and read it. Take it and read it. And I happen to have Romans nearby. So I thought, well, I guess maybe I ought to take it and read it. So he just takes Romans. He flips it open. And the first verse to catch his eye is Romans 13, verse 3. And he says, Here's, this is what it said. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And Augustine says, I wish to read no further. Instantly, at the end of this sentence, as if before a peaceful light streaming into my heart, all the dark shadows of doubt fled away. And with that moment, bam! He asked Jesus into his heart. Age of 32. His life was never the same. He went back to church, and on Easter Sunday, 387, was baptized in that church by Ambrose. He resigned his rhetoric position and he went back home to start a church, in essence. And on his way back home, they stopped in Ostia, which was the harbor town for Rome. Uh, and uh, uh, over the year it took him to get back home. While he was in Ostia, this was a year he had with his mom. He had his family and friends with him. He had his son with him. His uh, concubine, if you will, had already been sent off. And she was not living with him. And he led a life of, uh, of uh, purity after his conversion. But I will tell you this. It's a very touching account. He's in Ostia and they're trying to get back to uh, uh, Thagast. And he and his mother are standing talking. And he says, we had a wonderful conversation by the providence of God. And we're standing there looking out in the garden. His mother's 57, I think, and, or 56. And um, he says, we're talking about what it's going to be like when we die. You know, what happens? And how is the body transformed? He says, it was so wonderful. And we spent the day talking together. So excited she was to have her son in the faith. Finally, the son came home. And within five days, she developed a fever and died. And uh, he lost his mother when he was 33. He eulogizes her in this book in in the most touching of ways. And I'm I'm out of time, so you need to get the book and read it. But um, she had always wanted to be buried next to her husband. She bought her funeral plot there. She'd always said it. And somehow in the months before she died, she uh, saw fit to change that. As she's on her deathbed and her sons are there, 
she says to him, uh, um, one son said, don't die, let's get you back to the homeland first. And she says, doesn't matter. Put this body away anywhere. She said, nothing's far from God. I don't worry. I know God's going to be able to find me and raise me up at the end of the world. He doesn't need me by my husband. He'll reunite us in his son and in his kingdom. It's very touching. So, we're going to learn more of Augustine, but now you've got a flavor of who he is. And next week we'll try and look at some of the things he's written. Points for home. Confess your praise to God. Praise God. If you don't know how to do it, then sit through Dick Hill's worship because that's what he does. He brings us in to praise God. Confess your sin to God. Not because it's an albatross around your neck. Once you've been forgiven of your sin, you've been forgiven. But do let God know that you're conscious of the fact that you not only are a sinner, but have been a sinner. And that without his forgiveness, you're nothing. And confess your sin to God. Pray for the lost. Uh, If you've got children that are out there and you wonder how on earth God's going to redeem them, it's going to be through the power of his Holy Spirit and the cross of Jesus Christ. And you need to be in prayer about it every day. Pray for the lost. Accept Christ if you are lost. Don't be a fence traveler. Don't come to church because it's a good business thing. Don't come to church because it's something to do or you need to for your kids because you want them to grow up saved. Just do it. Let your heart accept who he is and change who you are. Let him change you. Just confess, Lord, I'm a sinner and I want you to be Lord of my life, period. And make that change. And then finally, mentor others. You don't know how God will use you in this rich tapestry. Pray with me, please. Our God, I thank you so much for this class. And I thank you so much for the men of faith that have come before us. The women of faith that have come before us. That we get to study and learn about. And I pray fervently that you will touch every heart in here. Who hears your word through the lives of these people we're studying. And through the history that you've put together that we stand upon so richly as your church. And that nobody will leave here uh, the same. That we'll all be changed by your word as we hear it and learn it and apply it. I pray for any fence straddlers that you'll get them off the fence. And let them see the joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen.